Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Okay, so as we said, uh, this double portion, uh, Akremot and Kedoshim, <clears throat> after the death and holy, or Kedoshim really is a plural, it could be holies, it could be holy ones. Um, I want to talk about these two partiot together. There's, as we said last week, there's so much that we could talk about. Um, in each one, we could pick it apart. We could spend a lot of time. <clears throat> this, these partiot get really difficult. I guess is a is a word is a way to say it. Um, not only because of the content, especially in translations, kind of like like uh, Kyle's, uh, where he was reading. You know, in 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 some of our English versions, it talks about uncovered nakedness, and we kind of go like. Ooh. Like, I know what that means, but I kind of don't know what it means, uh, you know, whatever. And then you have more like a kind of a woody mechanical translation like Kyle's, and it just says like, you know, just, it just, it just is what it is. And these things that are talked about over and over and over and over again, kind of like, okay, we, we get it. Um, and so there's a lot of content here. There's dealing with in, uh, Akre Mot, uh, in Akre, you're dealing with, uh, the Yom Kippur offering, right? The Yom, day of Yom Kippur. Um, and this day in itself is incredibly misunderstood in the wider kingdom, um, where this, you know, mostly, uh, it's this idea that, um, we sin or, or the, the Israelites sinned all year long and they just like racked up all this sin in their accounts, um, over the year. And then one day a year, God kind of cleaned their accounts out and 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 freed them from all their you know uh, covered them from all their sins, and I've even heard this taught in some some churches some some uh, circles where it's like well God didn't really he atoned which means he just covered them he didn't really forgive he just kind of like they were still kind of there right and we see uh, the reason for Yom Kippur. Well, let me just ask you, in your opinion, or the way you think about it, what is the reason for Yom Kippur? What, what, from reading the text, from hearing it read today, if you were just reading it, what would be your, what, what is the reason that we even need Yom Kippur? Um, so this is why we have to read the text really carefully. And we have to, um, not only read the text itself, but if I would, I would venture to bet that you take any good Bible studying believer and you send them into Leviticus chapter 17 and they start reading about this bull and this goat, these two goats, this whatever. Most, most well-meaning Bible studying believers would not identify this as the day of Yom Kippur because we just don't know enough about the offerings and the temple that we don't we just don't know. They might start to get it towards the end where you go like, "Oh, one goes out and oh, okay, yeah." The, we they might get it by then, but other than other than just reading the text, sometimes you you miss all this stuff. You don't know what to call it because it all just kind of ends up gobbledygook together, right? There's offerings and there's all this other these other things. But one thing that fascinates me about reading about Yom Kippur and it has for the last several years, 
is that when I'm reading about Yom Kippur, I am looking for where it deals with our sin. That's what I want to, that's what I want to know. How does it deal with our sin? And if you read it, go home and read it again, read it two or three times, make some notes. Get really mechanical, get really technical with this section of, of scripture and see how many times dealing with the day of Yom Kippur, does it actually have to deal with sin explicitly in the text of the people and how many times and how many sections and how many verses does it talk about atoning for the tabernacle, the altar, the, the utensils? So you have these kind of two things going on. You have where these, these offerings, these goats, they do atone for the sins of the Kohen, Gadol, and the priests, and his families, and the people of Israel. But then you also have this atoning of inanimate objects. So what the heck is going on? Like what, how are we just supposed to think about all of this? And what would they have understood as an ancient people? So we have Akare, which is about the Parsha, it's all about Yom Kippur. I want to talk about that in terms of holiness, because that's what Kedoshim is about, is about holiness. And that's what kind of wraps up our double Parsha for, for this week. So I want to talk about holiness, and I want to talk about Akare, dealing with Yom Kippur, as vertical holiness. The holiness between us and Hashem. Because that's really... That's really kind of the focus of what Yom Kippur is about. Not all, but the focus of it. And then I want to talk about Kedoshim, and I want to talk about that in light of our horizontal holiness. Because Kedoshim deals with stuff between us and God, but it really deals with relationships with people and how we are to be together. And so we get this kind of double-sided idea of holiness. Let's talk about holiness a little bit just to begin with. You ask three people, what is holiness? you're going to get probably like seven or eight different definitions, right? Because we don't know. We really don't know. What's being set, set apart, okay? Being set apart for God. Okay, what is that? We don't know what that means. We kind of talked about, Ms. Tammy kind of mentioned, you know, being different, being, being set apart, those kinds of things. I'm going to make, a, I'm going to make a, a radical statement that is way too off to one side, and then we're going to kind of bring it back to the middle, okay? Listen to this very carefully. Holiness has nothing to do with morality. Biblical holiness has nothing to do with morality. Okay? Now, I don't believe that as the way I said it, but I want to say it on this side of the spectrum so that we can kind of find some balance. Okay? What does that mean? Well, when we think of holiness, generally, we think of morality. Let's just say, you know, a man and a woman who have been married for 30 years and have never cheated on one another. And then a different man and woman who have each been married two or three times and in their current marriage have an open relationship, which means, you know, they bring partners in and out and whatever. Which one of those two is holier? Which one of those two is holier? Well, most people, I mean, you ask, you know, ask a, a, a group of believers and 99% would say, well, obviously the ones that have been together and have never committed adultery, right? Or never, you know, cheated on one another. See, we think about 
holiness as morality. Who is holier? A person who has never shoplifted and never stolen anything or a criminal, uh, you know, a person who's built a life on criminality of, of stealing and thief. Who is holier in our minds? What do we, what would you think is holier? Most of us, all of us, I would imagine would go, well, the guy who's never committed, uh, you know, never, never stolen anything. Who's holier? The person who works to save infants and babies or the per, the doctor who is killing babies and abortions every day? Who is holier? I'm trying to get you to think, we think of holiness as morality. We keep the Sabbath and Christians don't, we are holier. That's a moral statement. We keep the feast, other people don't, that's, that's a moral statement. Now, I said I don't really believe that statement that I made, but I want to make it because I think it's important to get, uh, to shake our brains because this is something that's hard for us to understand. Because, and this creates a disconnect when we come from a Christian understanding and we go back and we read the Torah and the Tanakh and what we do is we carry Christian New Testament ideas back into the Hebrew scriptures and go, well, this is what the Israelites would have understood. Talking with my Hebrew teacher a couple of weeks ago, but we were talking about ancient Israelite religion and this idea that we have, some of us have, that the older that you go back, the more genuine it is, right? Like, man, if I could just go live in the time of Yeshua, that's when, when faith was real. You know, that's when, when belief in Messiah was real and untainted. Some people say, man, if I could go back and live in the wilderness with the, with the Israelites or when they first came into the land around the tabernacle, that's when things were real and, and true, right? And we were talking about this idea and he said, what we've learned from ancient cultures, not just Israelite, but from ancient cultures around Israel is that ancient religion really is not moral at all. And this is going to break some of our minds. So I want you to think about this because it's going to hurt your head. For us, especially in modern day Christianity, it's not so much about what we do, but it's about what we believe. It's about what our convictions are. And yeah, I mean, what you do is important, but not as important as what you believe, right? This could not be any more opposite from the Israelites that we're reading about in our Parsha today. Because for ancient people, the worship of their God was you take this goat, you kill it, you collect its blood, and you go throw it against this stone. That is worship. And then you can go and sleep around, you can kill, it doesn't matter. See, those two things are completely detached. Morality and worship are, are two different detached things in the ancient world. You go like, that just doesn't make sense. I told you, it was going to break your brain. That's just, just part of, but it's just part of understanding the Bible. So whenever we're reading the Torah and we're reading about all these ceremonies and all these, all these things, the beautiful thing that the Torah does is that Hashem is using the Torah to dovetail ceremony and morality together. To go, the reason you're doing these things is because I want it to create an inside change in you, an inside holiness in you. So let's talk a little bit about holiness. And I want you to see the really practical understandings of holiness that we just really struggle to understand. So we've talked about this kind of around the edges a little bit from time to time, but I actually was a part of a teaching this week 
uh, I heard a teaching this week that was like just, it was so good. And so I wanted to, to show this to you guys. So this is our, we'll call this our vertical holiness, okay? This is how the sages explain holiness in, uh, from what they understand from the Torah. So, according to the sages, there are ten levels of holiness. The first level of holiness, again, if, if this, if, if you think, well, like, this is not how I think about holiness, okay. You don't have to think about holiness like this. I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear how the other side of the family, the Jewish people, think about holiness. And let it inform you a little bit, okay? Let it marinate around in there, and maybe we can take one option and another option and make a synthesis out of it. So, when we talk about ten levels of holiness, number one, the land of Israel is holy. Is the land of Israel the most moral nation on the, on the planet? And it's holier than all the other nations of the earth. Okay? It's holier than all the other nations of the earth. So you have us, and God loves us, and we belong to God, and we are holy, because anything that belongs to God is holy. Because He is holy. But Israel, the land of Israel, is holier. Now when I say the land of Israel, what do I mean? The people are the ground. Yes. Because they are, they go together, right? The modern state of Israel has a ton of trouble. It has a lot of issues that it has to deal with, okay? I, holiness is not moral. Remember. Yeah, but Tel Aviv has gay parades. Holiness is not about morality. I'm going to keep saying that until we kind of start to get it. The land of Israel, God calls us holy and we're not perfect. Okay? Holiness in the, in the ancient world is not about morality. The land of Israel is holy. And I'm going I'm to read you some descriptions of this from the, the Mishnah and Talmud so that we understand. Why is the land of Israel holier? This is what the sages teaches. It is holier because from it, the land of Israel, are brought the Omer, which we're counting right now, the first fruits, which is at Shavuot, and the two loaves that are waved at Shavuot. So what does this mean? So... During the counting of the omer, what are we, what crop are we, are we omering? Barley, right? Barley. The barley, we talked about this last week, it is taken and harvested right after Passover. It is dried, it's parched, it's ground, and it's gone through the 13 sieves, right? To where you, the, the, the treasurer of the temple puts his hands in and no flour sticks. Then they bake that into loaves unleavened loaves, and that is waved before Hashem. That is the waving of the omer, okay? You don't just take a stalk of barley and wave it around and go, That's there's a process to this. That's the barley. That barley has to be grown in the land of Israel. You cannot have outside barley come in and bring into the temple to wave before Hashem. doesn't work like that. That's rejected, okay? Then you have the first fruits, So all during this time of the counting of the Omer is spring harvest in the land of Israel. And they're harvesting all different kinds of fruits and grains and all kinds of different things. All of those things are brought at Shavuot as the Bikarim or the first fruits offering. Those fruits have to be grown within the land of Israel if they're going to be offered in the temple. Okay. Thirdly, 
There are two loaves that are waved at Shavuot. They are leavened loaves of what crop? Wheat. They are wheat. And they are leavened. Now, they don't go on the altar because nothing leavened can go on the altar. But they are leavened that they are waved before Hashem. So the land of Israel is holier than other nations, the sages teach us, because of those three things. Because you can't have those offerings. See, in biblical holiness and this idea of biblical holiness, holiness is a status attached to the temple or the presence of God. It's not a moral quality. Next level of holiness, number two, is walled cities within the land of Israel. Okay? From here on out, we're only going to be in the land of Israel. So within the land of Israel, any walled cities, why are walled cities holier than the land of Israel itself? It's because the Metzorah, the leper, must be sent out of a walled city and a corpse, once it is taken out of the city, cannot be brought back in to the city. Okay? So that makes walled cities holier than the land of Israel. So number three, the next holiest place is Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is holier than the walled cities. And it also is walled. Thank you. I was just fixing to say that, Brother Ron. There are actually three different walls around Jerusalem from three different time periods. So this is the city of Jerusalem. And you see the Temple Mount on the bottom of your screen. Now, north is to the right. Okay? North is to the right. Um, and you can see the Temple Mount there. So there are three walls within Jerusalem. Uh, if you see towards the right side of your screen, uh, on, off the north, let's see, what is that? Northwest corner of the Temple Mount, there is a, uh, like a square, a big square, a rectangle. That is the town of Bethsaida that we hear about in the Gospels. It's the town of Bethsaida. It's not a, a separate town. It's actually a suburb of Jerusalem. And Bethsaida means new town. That's where uh, several things happen in Bethsaida. What's cool about understanding geography, I know it's kind of nerdy and kind of dumb, but what's, what's really cool about understanding geography is you go, well, you read about Yeshua doing things in Bethsaida. And you go, okay, that's cool. What we don't realize until we look at it is that the things that Yeshua is doing in Bethsaida are right in view of the temple. He's right there. This, the heart of Jerusalem, right, is, is right there. We think, like, oh, Bethsaida is like some out in the countryside. No, it's, it's right here. So how does, that, how does that change or maybe enhance how we see or how we read his words? All right. So Jerusalem, uh, within the walls of Jerusalem are holier because... The, you have two types of offerings to, well, you have five categories of offerings, but they're kind of summarized into two different big categories that are, um, the holiest offerings and what we call lesser holy offerings. And this has to do with the reason they're brought, um, what exactly they are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the holiest of offerings have to be eaten in a certain place in the temple that I'll show you in a little bit. The lesser holy offerings and the second tithe has to be eaten within the walls of Jerusalem. Okay? Certain offerings have to be eaten within the walls of Jerusalem. You cannot eat them outside the walls of Jerusalem. That's a desecration of their holiness. Whenever the tabernacle was at Shiloh, which it stood there for 369 years, when the tabernacle was at Shiloh, 
you could eat those offerings on mountains. There's a mountain range around Shiloh. As long as you could see the tabernacle, you could eat those offerings. As long as you were in sight. Once the temple got built in Jerusalem and the walls of the city came up, they, they, this expanded to be eaten in the walls of Jerusalem. Okay? So Jerusalem is next holiest. Next holiest from Jerusalem, what do you guys think it is? Anybody got any ideas? The Temple Mount. Very good. The Temple Mount is holier than Jerusalem itself. Okay? So I've drawn this before in our concentric circles, but I want you to kind of see what this looks like. So you have Jerusalem, right? And then you have the Temple Mount. See how we're zoning in? We're, we're, we're focusing in. We're focusing in ultimately on this place right here in the center. See that T upside down T shaped building? That's the temple. Okay? That's ultimately where we're focusing in, but we're not there yet. We're on the temple mount. The temple mount is holier than Jerusalem at large. The temple mount is holier because Zavim and Zavot, Nida, and women after childbirth. So Azav, we have a Parsha called Zav, and it's all about the discharges. Okay? When you have a bodily discharge, it could be a, a, a sore that's oozing or whatever. All these different things cause you to be unclean. Are they sin? No. They're not sin. Because holiness is not linked to morality in the, in the temple world. Okay? In the ancient world. So you have, you have, discharges of you know skin or whatever kinds of things you have a woman in nida which is her monthly cycle and then you have a woman after childbirth which we read last week after a son and after a daughter has to be separated from the community for a certain amount of time right those cases of uncleanliness they can operate in all of these places but they can't ascend to the temple mount okay you can't go there you have to go through a process, right, which we'll talk about in a second. So that's why the Temple Mount is holier than all these other places, okay? There's much, much, much more to it, but we won't take time. Next is a place called the Hell, C-H-E-I-L, the Hell. I'm up, up on the Temple Mount now, okay? And as we walk forward, you see this wall right here, this little short wall with these plaques? This is called the Soreg. And these plaques are in all different languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, Latin, whatever. And what this wall is, if you are a non-Jew, or if you are a Jewish person or an Israelite with one of those uncleanlinesses we just talked about, the discharge, a woman in endowment, you cannot go past this wall. This is called the Chel, this little part right here. You see it goes all the way around, all the way around the temple. It's kind of the raised platform that the temple building proper sits upon, okay? The hell is holier than the temple mount, okay? Because non-Jews and those who have contracted specifically corpse impurity, I'm sorry, the sereg, uh, the, the, the wall, if you are a non-Jew or if you have corpse impurity, you can't go past the sereg. So let me let me back up because I just confused everybody. So the uh, the the Temple Mount. If you have any of those discharges, a woman in her cycle or a woman after childbirth, you cannot come on the Temple Mount. 
Okay? The hell is you can't go past that if you're a non-Jew or you have corpse impurity, which means you've touched a dead body. Or you've been close enough to a dead body that your shadow has passed over it. Okay? Then that you can't go inside the Soreg up to this place called the hell. Okay? Next level of holiness is the women's court. If you did the prayer journey with our, uh, for us with, uh, with us for Sukkot, then you know about the women's court. And the women's court is called Ezrat Nashim. Big, big, beautiful place where people gather. Um, the court of the women is holier than the area right around the temple. And this is holier because it is uh, from the women's court. The one who immersed himself that day is sent away. But one who has not completed the purification process, they cannot come in here. So it's called a Tuval Yom. So you read over in the Torah, if somebody is unclean for something, they have to go and wash and then they're unclean until evening, right? In Hebrew, that's a tuvel yom. They've started the, 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 uh, the purification process, but they have not completed it, okay? Or they can't come into the women's court. So there's, there's another level of sanctity here. The next one is the court of Israel. Now, one of the cool things that happen here is that every week, there, from all around Israel, every week there is a selection of people from different towns in Israel and a certain selection of priests, the courses that we hear about in the Gospels, right? They all come to, and they bring communal offerings for their city, for their town, for their community. And they stand here uh, in the court of Israel. The court of Israel is holier than the rest, Um because this is what is called the camp of the Shekinah. So if you can think about the tabernacle, right, in the wilderness, this is like the entrance, the Nicanor Gate is like the entrance to the tabernacle, the, the, the Ohel Moed, right? The Ohel Moed, you have two rooms, the holy place and the holy of holies. This is the entrance to that place, okay? So this, this whole area here is kind of the holy place. Um, this is the camp of the Shekinah. Um, any individual who intentionally enter, entered the court of Israel while in a state of impurity was liable to death by heavenly decree. Now, that doesn't mean that God killed you. It means that there are Levitical priests, or Le- Levites, rather, not priests, not only priests, but Levites, that are stationed on top of the buildings surrounding this court with bows and arrows. Their job is to kill anyone who trespasses this holy place by divine decree. It doesn't mean God's going to kill you. It means God, God gives certain people permission to kill you without going like, should I? Or, you're not waiting for a go command from you know, the command center. You, you have the right to do that by heavenly decree. Um, from the courtyard of, Israelite, of the Israelites and onward, even one who has not completed his process of purification should not enter. So again, if you had washed, but you, it wasn't nightfall yet, you could still come into the women's court. 
But if you have washed and it's not nightfall yet, then you can't come into the court of Israel. If you're a Tubal Yom, you can't come into the court of Israel. Okay? I know this is kind of painstaking. We're getting there. Next is the court of the Kohanim. So the court of the Kohanim is holier, for the Israelites may not enter it except when they are required to do so for the laying on of hands, for the slaying of their offerings, or for waving. So this is the court of the Kohanim is literally the court of the Kohanim. If you're an Israelite, you don't come in here just all willy-nilly. Like, I'm going to go see what the priests are up to. No. Then a, then a Levite shoots you in the head with an arrow. Okay? By divine decree. And then next we have a place called uh, the Ulam. The area between the altar and the entrance is holier than the area mentioned above or previously because the priests who have physical deformities, right? So a broken arm, something like that, or, or just have a physical deformity. Or they have grown long hair. Or if their priestly garments are torn, they may not enter this place. They can't come past the altar. So there's an interesting thing in the mission that tells us the, the altar has a ramp that you go up to the altar. And it used to be that, or it would happen sometimes when the priests, especially young priests that were training, they would get excited about being able to go and throw the offering on the altar. And it, I mean, it's, there's blood, you, you slip and fall. What happens if a priest, they're racing up the altar to, to, to do the, the offering, what happens if one falls and breaks his arm? He's disqualified. Can't serve anymore in this, in this area. So what happens? There's places now that he can't go. But he's a priest and that's his occupation. That's how he makes, that's how he feeds his family. That's how he eats. What happens? Well, there is a temple fund that is set up specifically for priests who are disqualified from priestly service. Okay? So this level is holier. Are you, are you starting to kind of understand a little bit about where we're going. Next in holiness is a word that you need to know called the Hechal. The Hechal. The temple building is holier than the area between the altar and the entrance because only a priest who is sanctified with washing his hands and feet may enter here. Only a priest, not a Levite, not an Israelite, you've got to be a certain family, and you've washed your hands and feet, Right? All the priests were warned not to enter the sanctuary or the Holy of Holies except when involved in the temple service and only at specific times. So, the Hechal. When we sing Matovu, we sing about the Hechal. Eshtachave el Hechal Kodshecha, the holy place. Okay, this is the holy place. And this is holier. And then what do you guys think is the final holiest place on earth? Here, the Holy of Holies, you were expecting to see an Ark of the Covenant, weren't you? Fun fact, in the second temple, there was no Ark. So, this is a second temple app, so that's why there is no uh, Ark mentioned here. But here, Holy of Holies, two curtains that separate the Holy Place from the uh, Holy of Holies in the second temple. One went from this wall, this way. And stopped short. The other one went from that wall this way and stopped a little bit short. And so the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur would come around one end, through the middle of the curtains, around the other one, and enter the Holy of Holies. Okay? Now, what I've, I wanted you to see in going through, I, can, I know this is kind of painful, but I hope it's interesting. What's interesting about this is that the, the, the sages tell us that when, when the, the presence of God left Israel... 
in the exile. That when, when it left in ten stages. And these are the ten stages. My, my, my numbering might be a little bit off. But these are the ten stages. The, the, um, the presence of God left the Holy of Holies first. Then left the temple building. Then left between the altar. Then left the court of the priests. Then it left the court of Israel. Then it left through Ezra Nashim, the women's court. The Hel, the, the, the platform the temple sits on. The temple mount, Jerusalem, the wall cities, the land of Israel. Now here's why I made the statement that holiness in the biblical sense is not moral. We talked about all the things that... What's the one thing you recognize as you get closer in here? What is the thing that, that we use, the condition to say this area is holier than this area is holier than this? What's the condition that we use? Who could not go to the next place, right? That's the thing that stands one place apart from the next one. Well... Lepers can't go here, you know, whatever. People can't go. So what is the thing that we get as we get closer and closer? It gets more restrictive. I've said this over and over. You have greater access. You're closer to the Shekinah, but it's greater restriction, right? Greater responsibility. And as, as Hope said, you get closer to truth, there is Less people that are actually want to make that journey and go there and be really honest about it. And the more truth you have, the more responsible you are with what you do with it. And I'm not talking about just biblical truth, just truth, period. Less people are going to seek for true, true truth. And the more of it you have, the more responsible you are for it. Now, all these things. So. The thing that prevented people from being closer to the presence in the temple was something we called tame, right? A tuma, uncleanliness, tuma. As we talked about last week, how much tuma, how much uncleanliness was a result of sin? Just about zero. Now, what we have is if you have marital relations in a, in a holy marriage, everything's good, you're still unclean. Is that a sin? God, I hope not. Right? Yeah, it's actually a requirement. So, yeah, so thank you. So you read Genesis, it's a requirement to be fruitful and multiply, but, but fulfilling that commandment keeps you away from the presence of God. You see? This, this should make your brain hurt because we've just said, oh, uncleanliness and holiness is the same. Jesus made us holy. I don't have to think about the rest. I can just jump up in daddy God's lap anytime I want to. And all of that is false. It's all, or maybe not false, but it's too, way too general, right? There's a lot of nuance to this. You have to be careful. You have to be careful when you're talking about the presence of God. You have to know what you're talking about. And not just treat the presence of God as if it's anything. It's just whatever. It's ordinary, right? And so what happens when we take things and we take them from their holy status, we make them common. One of the job, one of the main jobs is the pre, of the priest is to not only do the service of the temple, but their job is to, we saw this in last week's Parsha, is to teach the people the difference between the profane and the holy. That's one of the priest's job is to teach the people what is profane and what is holy because you don't just mess around with Shekinah, with the presence of God. 
And we have attributed so much, I'll just say, so much crap to the Spirit of God that it's blasphemous. Oh, the Spirit. Be very careful with that. I'm not saying God doesn't speak and God doesn't move and His Spirit doesn't motivate us to do things, inspire us. Absolutely, God, I hope He does. Because without that, we have no hope. But we have to be very careful about how we treat that, right? So, Akarei is all about Yom Kippur. And, um, and it's all about approaching that holy place. That holy place. And there's a beautiful thing. We'll talk about it when we get closer to Yom Kippur. I have a whole guide, like the day of Yom Kippur, where we're actually going to take everybody through the, the temple app, and we're going to show you where the, the holy, the, the uh, excuse me, high priest, how he did the whole service on Yom Kippur. We're going to go into all the places and show you all the places he went and all that kind of stuff and actually do that, do the service with him. Um, Kodashim, you get into Kodashim, um, in the, the Parsha Kodashim, and you have things, it starts off, be holy because I'm holy, and, and, and God gives a couple things, and you're like, oh, this is sounding kind of Ten Commandment-y. And then he goes into sexual relations, and you're like, whoa, that escalated quickly. And you have all these all these things, you have equal weights and measures, you have all these things in Kedoshim that, that, that God is commanding us to deal with. And, and there's a way of reading it where it's like, okay, Akre was all about about dealing with Hashem directly. And then Kedoshim is all about how we deal with each other. As a matter of fact, Yeshua was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God, right? Shema. And then love your neighbor yourself. Where does love your neighbor as yourself come from? This week's Parsha. Leviticus 19.18. Kedoshim, holiness, is not only about our relationship with God. Holiness is about our relationship with each other. And so this is where I feel like, and you know, we can all disagree, it doesn't matter. This is where I feel like we kind of start to get that moral component. And then when we read the Gospels, as Miss Sylvia did, you really get the moral component about what comes into your mouth and out of your mouth. like that. It, it, it progresses from there. So to say that holiness is not about morality is only partially true. That's why I said I wanted to make a radical statement and then kind of come back to a balance point from there. What I want you to understand is that all of these things that we've talked about, very, 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 very little of it had to deal with sin. It's a status. It's a status. There's one part of, of Leviticus 19 where um, he says... Uh, you shall not, uh, we're talking about, uh, about sexual relations, and he talks about not uh, defiling yourself by that relationship. And when I was reading it today, it just jumped out to me. It's like, we, we read that and we think, well, if I have a, a, a promiscuous or a, a sexual encounter that's not allowed, then I defile myself because I've sinned and because that sin defiles me. Now, that is... True. However, in, in the ancient world, that's not the way they thought about it necessarily. It's that having any kind of sexual relationship kept you from going, from approaching the temple. And so he's saying, if you're going to be defiled through sexual relationship, do it in this case of your, you and your wife, your husband and your wife. Don't do it with somebody else's wife or your sister or your whatever. Does that make sense? If you're going to be defiled already, don't do it like this. 
Yeah, it, it narrows your, your, the guidelines of your defilement to a man and a woman, a husband and a wife particularly. Does that, does that make sense? Again, I just, I want us to think about this stuff because, because we, we all believe, hopefully we all believe, that we house the presence of God. The, the incredible thing about what, what happens with Yeshua and in Acts on that Shavuot is that we weren't given the Torah again, but we became this place. This is what the Bible is teaching us. That, and that day in Acts 2, we became this place. The place that is, has been, was protected and there's guidelines and all this in the physical with the standing of the temple, the most protected place of any place on the face of the earth. Protected because of the preciousness of the presence of God who dwells there. You understand what I'm saying? It's a given that sin keeps you from here. That's a given. That's a given that outright intentional sin keeps you from this place. That's why that, that's why I can say that holiness in the biblical sense is not moral. The understanding is that if your morals are really crappy, you're not getting it here anyway. If you're sinning, if you're taking, if you're murdering, if you're doing all the things, whatever, you don't have a snowball's chance of getting close to this anyway. Yeah, you can't kill an animal to clean it up. It doesn't work that way. We've talked about that, right? So the reason why I think they're not too concerned or necessarily concerned about uncleanliness being linked to sin is because they assume that it's not a result of sin. They assume that you're actually being a righteous person. And so what has made you unclean? Life. You just live life and you got a sore. Or you, you live life as a, as a woman and part of life is, is, it comes around every month, right? Aunt Flo comes to visit. It's just being human. And life, living life can make you unclean. That doesn't mean that you're in gross sin. It doesn't mean that you're in sin at all. Living life makes you unclean. Keeps, it can keep us from the, it can protect the presence of God from us. Because the Day of Atonement really is about cleansing the temple of contamination that we brought in. That's what Yom Kippur is really about. So it protects the holy things from us, uncleanliness, but it also protects us from the holy things. Because when unclean comes into contact with holy, either you become holy or you die. That's the way that that works. Because uncleanliness is contaminated, is not contaminated, is contagious, but so is holiness. And holiness, more contagious than uncleanliness. So when you come into contact with the holy, either you become as it is, or you die. Because those are the two options. So this, so then because we believe that we have become this place, do you see why understanding this is so important? Do you, do you realize how flippantly we, we, we treat our identity as the temple of Adonai? Do you realize how the, the lack of, of focus and discipline and seriousness we have about being this place? Does that make sense? Do you understand that? And this is not about, again, it's not about, not about sin. Sin is a given. If you're sinning, stop. Just, just quit. Sin is something you do, not something you are. 
Therefore, you have the ability to stop. Not to say that all of us just go like, oh, okay, after today I'm going to be perfect. That's not what I'm talking about. You understand? If we believe that we are this place, that we are the Holy of Holies, that we are the temple of Hashem, that it's important that we wrestle with things like this, that we try to understand things like this, because if we believe that we are the carriers of the same presence of God that lived in this building at one time, that resided in this building at one time, if we really believed that we as a community carried that same presence, our lives, our existence would be radically different. Because we can study the temple we can study the tabernacle and we can know what was involved in keeping the presence of God here. It was a, it was a whole world of its own just to preserve the presence of God living in the temple. Do we spend our lives, do we spend our existence as the, as the body of Messiah, as the king, do we spend our existence trying to preserve God's presence living within us? I think for, I think for a, a good majority of us, I think we have a, a pretty good idea, which is why we're careful not to gossip. This is where it starts, it is, does start becoming moral. Because we, human beings, are moral. We are moral creatures. That's what we are. And so we don't gossip. Or we try not to, or we shouldn't. <laughs> we don't lie. We don't steal. We don't cheat. We don't. We live by the Sermon on the Mount. Because we are fighting to preserve the presence of God living among us. Because we are this. And you know what? When life happens, sometimes we feel far away from God. Sometimes we feel like we're, we have a disconnect between us and God. You know what? The majority of the time, it's probably not because of sin. For people that are actively following and with the, the best intentions following God. You understand what I'm saying? It's probably not that you sinned and God went, oh, you sinned. Get away from me. He didn't treat us like a narcissistic parent. It's probably that life has happened and you got some, you got some tumor on you. You got some uncleanliness. And because of that, our access is restricted a little bit. And that will become clean and it will be okay and everything will go back to normal as the way it was. See, understanding this, understanding the ecosystem and the environment of the temple teaches us about how to live and about life and about the way things work, the way God programmed everything. So, Akare Kedoshim, about our personal holiness, our, our vertical holiness between us and Hashem, and about our holiness with other people. Again, I'll say this, and then I'll, I'll finish. We've talked about this before. God can handle your mess. God can handle this this. Right here, God can handle this. He's not scared. He's not offended. He's not, you go and say, yeah, I messed up. I'm sorry. You repent. You make shuvah. You do what you got to do. God can handle it. What God can't and won't do is when you offend someone else. We hurt someone else and then we pray to God, please forgive me for that. And God goes like, I don't have anything to do with that. I have nothing to do with that. What, what are you talking about? You go and you make it right. God can't make it right. He didn't offend. I offend you. I, I break your heart. I hurt you. You know, I destroy your world. Not like I think I have the power to do that, but you understand. 
I cause an offense in you, and then I go to God and go, please forgive me for that. And he goes, why? I didn't, I'm not the one that offended her. <laughs> you did. You go make it right. And so this idea that we can run to God to clean up our mess between each other, we run to God when we have offended him. And he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Amen? But when we offend each other, you don't run to God. And the Bible teaches this very clearly and very consistently. We talked about it last week. Things like leave your offering at the altar and go make it right. Wow. Right? Things like if you will not, if you can't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Right? That's, this is all, this is all in, this is all of this is in teaching us how to protect sacred space, which is us. And if there is strife, you guys that have kids, have multiple kids, there's strife in the house. The kids are at each other and everybody's cranky and tired and being, you know, eh, as a parent, do you want to be in the middle of that? Y'all go to your room, go outside, go some, whatever. Or you know what? I'll go outside. Y'all stay in here, whatever. You just want to be away from it, right? The chaos and the, ah, do you understand what I'm getting at? So when we, the children of God are ah, offending each other and at each other, God's like, I don't want any part of that. You guys fix it, and then, then I'll come and be a part of you, right? So, Father, we thank you and bless you for our online family, um, for how important they are to us, what their relationships mean to us, uh, and uh, just the prayers and the comments and the, fa- and the relationship that we have. So we pray that as we go and eat and fellowship together, Father, that you would fill the homes of our online family um, with your presence, with your spirit, and, uh, and just give them comfort and ease as they enjoy the rest of this Shabbat. And uh, we bless you and thank you for them. Uh, through Yeshua, our beloved Messiah. Amen and amen.